Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 10. I'd like to add to that a couple of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're looking tonight at the oath. And in these passages, I invite you to hear about the Lord who swears and about the oath to which he calls his people. The Heidelberg Catechism has a whole other Lord's Day on the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And it spends that Lord's Day explaining and teaching about the oath. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, you hear these words, Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. And by the way, these are the words that, that the Lord preaches through Moses as he, with his, his people stand, as it were, on the banks of the Jordan, looking to go into the land of promise. So it's the preparation for going into the land. Deuteronomy 6, 10, so it shall be. When the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. And then to chapter 7 at verse 1, chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters, your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you, Because you are more in number than any other people, for you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. And then to chapter 10 of Deuteronomy Chapter 10 at verse 12. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. 
And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. God's word. Would you take out the Forms and Prayers book to turn to the Heidelberg Catechism to page 245 in the book? Page 245 in the Forms and Prayers book. Lord Say 36 had said that the Lord was against us using unnecessary oaths or wrong swearing and cursing, and now Lord's Day 37, question 101 says, but may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? And the answer is yes. When the government demands it or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and for our neighbor's good, such oath-taking is grounded in God's word and was rightly used by the saints in the Old and New Testaments. May we also swear by saints or other created things? No. A legitimate oath is calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No created thing is worthy of such honor. Let us Ask for God's blessing, shall we? <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we pray that in these next moments might also be an act of worship, that you'd be praised in the declaring of your truth and praised in the faith in the hearts of your people who receive your truth. May you be glorified, and we pray that you'd bless us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the other commandments in the Heidelberg Catechism get, I think, all of them just one Lord's Day, but the third commandment gets two Lord's Days, and so we have a whole Lord's Day devoted to the oath. And the historical circumstance of the 16th century is the explanation for that in some measure, because in those days we had the Roman Catholic Church on the one side making oaths and vows in the name of saints, and we had the, the left wing of the Reformation, so-called, the Anabaptists, who were declaring that all oaths were wrong, refused to swear an oath, period. And so the question was, well, what shall we do? May we or may we not swear an oath as God's people? 
And so this Lord's Day seeks to explain that. But as we dig into the Bible and look at the oath, we discover that the oath is a lot more than just the question of whether I should swear an oath in a courtroom. The oath actually is wrapped up with our whole redemption in Scripture. And here in Deuteronomy 6 and in Deuteronomy 10, the Lord calls his people to swear their oaths in his name. And as he gives them the oath and calls them to swear in his name, he sets them apart from the whole world. I'd like to look tonight, first of all, at God's oath, and then at our oath, and then at Christ's oath. And we'd see, I hope, first of all, that God and his oath reveals to us the faithfulness of his name. And then we, in our oaths, as we swear in God's name, we glorify the faithfulness of God's name. And then finally, Christ in his oath fulfills the faithfulness of God's name. Well, God's oath, first of all, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, and Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, God calls his people to take their oaths, to swear their oaths in his name. Now, those verses may not be referring precisely to what we think of as, as making an oath in court and so forth, but it may, in fact, be the confession of allegiance to swear in the Lord's name in those cases. Those verses may be the idea of committing oneself, pledging oneself to Jehovah, to the Lord. But it certainly includes the other kind of oath. Because if God is the God you recognize, then it's his name by which you confess truth to other people as well. Now, in order for Israel to understand why they must take their oaths only in the Lord's name, they must understand that their entire existence is bound up with the name of the Lord and with his oath to them. The whole basis of Israel's existence hangs on the Lord and his faithfulness to them, even his oath. God's people have a privileged status in the world because he swore to them to be their God and to bless them. The whole story of the church is the story of God fulfilling his oath to his people. You look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, and the Lord declares what a privileged people they are. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. You are a holy people to the Lord. The Lord's chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. It still very much applies today, the New Testament church, that among all the peoples of the world, the church is God's prize, his beloved. But the explanation for that is found in the verses that follow. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. Well, then why? Because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. There's a mystery, isn't it, in the wonder of God's election. This is why we speak of unconditional election, because God's choice of his people, it's not based on something we've done. We're not a bigger people or a better people. But God's choice is based only on God. He loved you because he loved you, Moses said. It's, it's a mystery whose answer is found in the Lord himself. Why did God love me? Why did God choose me? And the answer is because God loved you and God chose you. It was his good pleasure. And in that love, God made a promise. He covenanted with his people. He swore to the patriarchs. He promised to bless Abraham and his offspring. 
And in Genesis chapter 22, the Lord explicitly speaks of swearing. After Abraham is tested, called to offer up Isaac, who who is the embodiment of all promises. He is the embodiment of salvation. And Abraham is to lay him upon the altar and give him up. So it's, it's a tremendous test. And after Abraham does that, then God says, Genesis twenty two sixteen and following, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sandwiches on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God had given lots of promises to Abraham before, right? He had, from the time he called him, he promised to make him a nation and to bless him and to curse those who curse him and to bless him those who blessed him, and to make in Abraham's family a blessing to all of the world. But now all of that is, is summarized and capped with this glorious oath. I have sworn, says the Lord, I will bless you. Now an oath, the catechism reminds us, is, is calling upon God to bear witness to the truth. When we, when we make an oath, we're calling upon God to bear witness to that truth. You know, most all humans naturally, when they make an oath, they appeal to something or someone they think is greater than themselves, right? In order to emphasize the solemnity of what they're saying and, and the weight of it. Believers, of course, appeal to God who knows the heart and the Lord who alone knows the intentions that we have when we say we'll do something. The Lord who alone has power to punish us. The supreme oath in Israel was the phrase, as Yahweh lives, as surely as the Lord lives. That was, that was the oath the Israelites used. And earlier in Israel's history, even Abraham swore by the Lord. Remember when Abraham had rescued Lot and the people of Sodom. And then the king of Sodom came out and said, Abraham, I'll take the people. You can have all the stuff. And Abraham said, no, I've, I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing. And then later, Abraham, when he wants his servant to go find Isaac a wife, he says, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. We swear by someone greater than ourselves. But what will God do if God swears an oath? Who is greater than God? Who, who knows the mind of God? Who knows the intentions of God? Who can hold God accountable that God would keep his word? Well, of course, there's none greater than God. Look with me at the book of Hebrews and see what it says there about this oath, that one I just spoke about. Hebrews chapter 6 refers back to that oath that, that the Lord swore to Abraham after he offered up Isaac. In Hebrews chapter 6, at verse 13. Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless you. God swore by himself. 
There's none greater. But why did God swear? Well, the writer says, gives to us the reason, verses 16 and 17, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. Why did God swear an oath? Is it because God's word is shaky? Is it because, because sometimes God doesn't speak the truth and now he needs to convince us that he really means it this time? Well, of course not. But the writer of Hebrews says God swore so that we could be certain, so we could have great comfort. God, who is all truth, stooped down from heaven to swear to Abraham and to his descendants, even to the Christ, so we could be certain. We are people who waver, right? We have doubts. In fact, that's, that's the way of God's people on the earth, isn't it? We don't have to pretend like we've never had any doubts about anything. We, we struggle against doubts. Some people struggle for a lifetime against quite serious doubts at times. The Lord knows this. He's a gracious God. And just as any Christian husband of his wife had a doubt about his love for her, would, would seek to do all he could to assure her, just like any Christian parents who, whose children wonder about the commitment of their parents to them, they would do all they could to assure them So God, our covenant God, does all that he can to assure us that he will bless us through the Christ. The life of the believer is the life of patient endurance, of trusting in the promises and plodding on. And isn't it interesting that the way God reveals himself and teaches Israel to know his faithfulness is by training them to depend upon him over the course of Time, even centuries. God doesn't just one day announce his love and his promised blessing, but he leads his people down a pathway of walking with him. Peter Craig, in his commentary on Deuteronomy 7, writes, God's love and choice of his people was known rather through the experience of God's maintaining his covenant and loving kindness with his faithful people for a thousand generations. And then he writes that God charted his people's course through the events of history, liberating them from bondage of Egypt, bringing them to the present moment on the plains of Moab and on the eve of the fulfillment of the ancient promise to the fathers. God trains his people to know the faithfulness of his name by leading them through history. And in fact, God has charted the course of history by his oath, by his promise. And God is revealing the wonder of and the strength of his love to his people. His people are learning that his name is trustworthy. And you say, well, what does all this have to do with the third commandment now and taking oaths in God's name? Well, it means at least this, that we will never use God's name correctly and with reverence unless we've seen the glorious value of God's name. And the glorious value of God's name is learned as God has walked with us through history. 
And at every turn, keeping his word and fulfilling his promises and carrying his people forward. And as people are learning to say, what a glorious name, what a faithful name, this God we have. The tremendous weight and worthiness of God's name has been shown to us over time because the covenant-making, covenant-swearing, covenant-keeping God has revealed himself to us across the pages of history that he's a God who swears to his own hurt and changes not. God's name is not a light and trivial name. God's name is a name of faithfulness, a name of truth, and we are learning to prize that name. God binds himself to his people, and in doing that, it sets Israel apart from all the other nations. God has bound himself to his church by an oath, and it sets us apart from all the peoples on the face of the earth. We alone have the living God sworn to us. That's what makes us different from everyone. We know the name of God. A name so valuable that God would keep his word at the cost of the precious blood of his own son. And it is that oath of the Lord that has carried his church along throughout history. It's that oath of the Lord that has buttressed his people, given them strong consolation and caused them to endure. Abraham had doubts and Sarah had doubts. God's people often had doubts. But it's the sure word of God, his oath, which finds its fulfillment, as we'll see in Jesus Christ, by which all the promises of God are yes and amen. Certain, fulfilled, finalized. And we have the beginning of the fulfillment, don't we? We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we are still walking in faith and looking for the full consummation. And we rejoice that God's oath has made us different. It has determined the course of our lives. And God's name is our life and our hope and our comfort. And can we treat that name of God lightly then? To use it casually or flippantly? Can we not cringe when we hear somebody flippantly say, I I swear it by God? No, it's a precious name to us. What's happening in this world, what's happening in our lives, has everything to do with the oath God swore. But then let's think about our oaths tonight. Our oaths. If God reveals the faithfulness of his name by his oath, We honor the faithfulness of God's name by our oaths. Are we to swear oaths today? Clearly they swarm in the Old Testament. Abraham swore. Remember Elisha? Abraham turned down goods with an oath, but remember Elisha did the same thing when when, when the uh, Syrian commander Naaman, remember, was healed of his leprosy by the word of the prophet dipping in the Jordan. Then he came back to the prophet and he wants to give him stuff. And remember the answer of Elisha was, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing from you. Old Testament, they swore oaths. What about the New Testament? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, but I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. 
So many would say, well, there you go. Settles it. Couldn't be any clearer. No os, period. But if you keep reading on in the New Testament, then Jesus swears an oath. Paul and his epistles is often swearing oaths. You have to take the whole Bible together. If you read on in Matthew, you begin to understand what was happening. Jesus reveals the problem when in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. And we get a little window into the situation in Jesus' day where the religious leaders were manipulating the oath and abusing the oath. They weren't using it to, to bear witness to the truth. They were using it to cover their lies and schemes and oath-breaking. The catechism asks, can we, can we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? And the answer is yes, when the, when the government demands it or necessity requires it. If we do it to promote the truth for the glory of God and for our neighbor's good. Well, in Jesus' day, they were not doing it for that reason. Not for God or for neighbor, but for self. They were making up oaths and manipulating oaths for self. To hide their wrongs. The Apostle Paul would use the oath to convince believers of his sincere motives like Romans 1 verse 9 for God is my witness that without ceasing I mention I mention you always in my prayers as you study scripture becomes apparent that the oath is actually God's gift to his people because God has given to us his name to use as a foundation in a world that is swirling with lies. The oath is to call God as witness who knows the truth of my heart and who will punish me if I'm lying. And that's a great gift because it brings security to our lives in the midst of a lying world. The oath, of course, would have never been necessary if we never began to speak lies. But we know our great enemy came into the garden and he taught us a new tongue. He instructed us in a new language and we became liars. And if you know something about liars, you don't have much relationship with a liar. You ever met somebody who's a compulsive liar? Every, everything they say is, is subject to question. They lie about things they don't even need to lie about. And there's not really room, is there, for much of a relationship because there's nothing to stand on. There's no truth between us. We can't communicate. And if the whole world was taken over with a lie, we'd all be very, very lonely individuals, right? We couldn't, we couldn't have marriages. We couldn't have a relationship between parents and children. We couldn't have a relationship between employers and, and employees. And, and things would fall apart. And God says here, in the midst of all that deceit, in that unstable ocean of lies, here's one solid point. Here's, here's the lighthouse. Here's one reference point on which you may build my name. My name is truth. And I guard the truth. And I call them into account for the truth. You may use my name. You may base your communication upon me. And so God says to his people, you take your oaths in my name. 
Don't we make any oaths of those in the names of those lying gods? But you use my name. Deuteronomy 6, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and take your oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. If Israel didn't take oaths in God's name, then they presumably would take oaths in the names of foreign gods. They would pledge allegiance to those gods and swear in the names of those gods. Remember Goliath, we saw last week, Goliath, as David comes out against him, Goliath curses David in the names of his gods. But David responds, in the name of Jehovah, I come to you in the name of Jehovah. The name of our God identifies who it is that we worship. Jeremiah 12, verse 16, and it shall be if they will learn carefully. The Lord's talking here in Jeremiah 12 about the, about the Gentiles coming into the church, being planted. And he says, it shall be if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name, saying, as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. To swear by the name of a false god, to swear by the name of Baal, would be a gross insult to the Lord, wouldn't it? You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. Deuteronomy 10.20 Because, verse 21, he is your praise, and he is your God, and has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. God says to his people, how could you swear in the name of any other God? When this is the name you know, the, the God who's redeemed you and who is your praise and delight, who's done wondrous things for you. There should be no other name in your mind, no other name upon your lips, no other name to which you appeal, but the name of the Lord. Take your oaths in my name. To do anything else is to transfer to an idol what belongs to God, his glory. Be faithful to me, God says. Only God is worthy of that ultimately, right? We, we may not swear by another name because we, we've been redeemed by this God, but there's not even another God in all of the world, right? People today might say, well, I swear by my mother's grave, but it's such a worthless thing. I mean, what can their mother's grave, what can their mother do in terms of bearing witness to truth or punishing the liar or knowing the heart of the one who swears? There, there is no other God but the one God. We go into court and swear to tell the whole truth, so help me God. We're reminded in a powerful way that, that God is my witness. He will hold me to account. If we take a political office and swear to fulfill the duties of office, then we know that God's going to be watching us. Hebrews 4 says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight, but everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When we swear an oath, we are... Reminding ourselves and others in a special way that we speak in the presence of the living God. If we think our words only matter when we sign our name on a government document, or our words only matter when we have, when we have put down money, then we're really transferring to money or to government the role of the Lord. In fact, Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, when he says, just let your yes be yes or your no, no, he's teaching us that we should, 
speak every word in the presence of God. We should be always conscious that we live before the face of the faithful Lord who hears everything we speak. And especially in the church, we should be able to trust each other. And we should glorify God by speaking truth. But we don't always speak truth. And that's why we must see finally this evening, not just God's oath and not just our oaths, but finally Christ's oath that brings us forgiveness and eternal blessing. Maybe when we hear that third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain because I won't hold him guiltless who misuses my name. We get a little nervous. Because we've all misused God's name. And we know he's able to hold us accountable. Truly God knows everything. You think of Achan, remember, who went into Jericho and stole the things that were dedicated to God. And and he buried them in his tent. Nobody knew about it. Except the one who sees everything. The Lord saw through the tent and through the dirt and into the ground where they're buried. The Lord saw into the heart of Achan and his covetousness. The Lord uncovered Achan before Israel, condemned him, stoned him. In Jeremiah 5, verse 7, God says, How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in harlots' houses. How shall I pardon you for this, God says? Isn't that really the the word that's written over us? How shall I pardon you for this? How shall I pardon you for this? That you've you've spoken the names of other gods, or you've spoken untruth in my name. How shall I pardon you for this? How low did we go? What a low moment it was when Christ was on trial. And Peter, who had followed to the high priest's house, was being discovered as one of the disciples of Jesus was being accused. Do you remember that episode? And the servant girl comes to Peter. In Matthew 26, Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. That's a very low moment, isn't it? Peter is swearing oaths, presumably in the name of the Lord. And with the name of the Lord, he is denying Jesus the Lord. Well, that's very gross, isn't it? To deny that you know the Lord Jesus in the name of the Lord. But at that same moment, something else was going on. And the high priest answered and said to Jesus, I put you under oath by the living God. 
Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus, who had been silent now, put under oath answers, It is as you said. Christ swears it, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Peter denies him. Christ confesses. Peter swears he doesn't know the man. Christ swears he is the Savior of the world. And do you see what's happening? The Lord God who said to Abraham, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done these things and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. Is now giving his son, his only son, to stand in the place that we liars and perjurers and misusers of God's name, to stand in the cursed place that we deserve. Jesus Christ speaks the truth, and by that truth goes to the cross and dies our death and gives to us again the name of the Lord, pure and holy, taking away all of our sin, all of our guilt, giving us a full pardon, and purchasing for us the Spirit to train us, to renew us in the language of truth. Brothers and sisters, it is the true oath that sets the church of Christ apart from the whole world. Because by the oath of God, our life, our course has been charted. By the oaths that we speak in the Lord's name, confessing that name, we honor the Lord and reveal our distinction from the world. And by our Christ, who spoke under oath in order to go to the cross... We've been set free from our guilt. And on that last day, when God will hold all men to account, and every last person who's ever lived upon the face of the earth will stand before the judgment seat, and God will say, I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain. And people will be terrified. Our Lord Jesus Christ will gladly step forward to confess our names. And to acknowledge that he's paid for all of our sin. And to point to our works that these are his people who by their life have shown that they know the value of God's name. That will be a great day. May the Lord write his law upon our hearts. And give us great joy that we know the name of the God who is truth. Who is forever faithful. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a great and a holy name is our covenant, Lord. We pray you teach us to revere you and to prize you. You are our praise. And please forgive us for all the ways we've drugged your name through the mud, where we have used your name in ugly ways. Father, we rejoice that if there's forgiveness for Peter who denied Christ with the name of God, we know there is forgiveness for sinners. We thank you for our Savior's name. We pray we might have peace and pardon in him and the power of the Spirit to speak always in the presence of our God. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.